First John chapter 5. Please hold your place in 1 John chapter 5, and then uh, go over to Matthew 28, and hold your place there, and then hold your place in, G- in Genesis chapter 1. I know that's funky. Genesis 1, Matthew 28, 1 John 5. Genesis 1, Matthew 28, 1 John 5. And please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I have 20 minutes to do this message. You can do it. You can do it. All right. First uh, John chapter 5, we'll begin with that one. Written by the Apostle John. And some of you, as we begin, listen, some of you, as we begin reading this passage, you're going to go, where are you reading from? You have what's called an Alexandrian text scripture, an ASB, ESV, NIV and uh, I'm reading from what's called a Masoretic text, received text, King James, uh, New King James. Um, the Alexandrian text felt it necessary to remove this passage, which is, to me, one of the most significant passages in the Scripture. And they just thought themselves so scholarly that they just removed it. That's why I struggle with Alexandrian texts. Walcott and Horton, just not my cup of tea. And some of you disagree with me, and you, you think yourself scholarly and good. And maybe you are. But I don't buy it. The only, yeah. So let's take a look. First John chapter 5, verse 6. This is Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7 is the problem. For there are three who bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Anyone? No, don't raise your hand because we'll know it. <laughs> what you're reading. <laughs> All right, where were we? Uh, and there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now drop down to verse 21. I love this. This is how he ends the the letter. 90 years old. He's just, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's great. All right, don't uh, hold your place in Matthew twenty-eight. Let's go to uh, let's go to Matthew twenty-eight. Let's do that. Matthew twenty-eight. Now Jesus says these final words. This is the Great Commission, picking up at verse eighteen. Jesus came, spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth." And look at verse nineteen. He says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them." How? Let's try that again. Baptizing them in the name of the Good. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. And then you'll get to sit down. Some of you are already sitting down. That's okay, because they qualified to be able to sit down. Genesis. Right, Viv? Amen. 
You had to fill out a few forms, but we got that done for you. (laughs) Genesis 1, verse 26. For those of you saying, saying, you know, the Trinity, the Trinity, the Trinity, that's, that's a New Testament deal. It's not an Old Testament thing. Okay, whatever. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let me make man in my image according to my likeness. Nobody stopping me yet? Yeah, what? What? That's a heresy. (laughs) Yeah, that's the New World Translation. Okay, verse 26 says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. The scripture goes on to say, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That means have kids and lots of them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, for the clarity of your word and the simplicity of your word, but also the power of your word. And Lord, as we take a look at this <clears throat> doctrine of the Trinity that has been a non-negotiable and a foundational truth of the church from its inception, one that John felt necessary to defend and to clarify, and yet uh, scholars now believe that they can just remove those verses. I, I pray, God, that you would minister and reestablish the significance and the power. Bless us now, Lord, even with the small time remaining. Make it clear. May man decrease that your spirit would increase. And Lord, I pray that you bless each person present. Lord, I know that some may have been offended thus far, but Lord, I, I pray that they wouldn't be thin-skinned and that their ears would be open to receive and to just to learn. And I pray, God, your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Have a seat, please. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those things that is a non-negotiable. And as John was writing this letter in his 90s, he was dealing with the Gnostic heresy uh, which had permeated Christendom in the lifetime of the apostles. And Paul had condemned it uh, when he wrote Colossians, and also John had condemned it in this first epistle that he's writing, just trying to contend with this Gnostic heresy. And basically, the Gnostic heresy was denying the deity of Christ and saying that Christ wasn't God. And uh, they, they taught that Jesus's, <clears throat> Jesus's um, nature was inferior to the Father's, and thus they weren't equal. And um, he was like a super angel that 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 came from the Father, and and there is a there is a vestige of Gnosticism today in Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses hold to this Gnostic heresy. Uh, they say that Jesus uh, is is a created being that he, that uh, he is he's not God, and that's dangerous. Uh, Mormons say that. Um, Mormons are not monotheistic, they're polytheistic, which is contrary to the Trinity. I was with uh, some, some Mormon folks at the RNC, and they were saying we're Christians. I said, not, you're not Orthodox Christians. Orthodoxy, in this idea, you can call yourself what you want, but the idea of Orthodox Christianity, uh, what God had established in the Scriptures and what the Scriptures declare is that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. Three persons, one God. In Mormonism, you have, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man will one day become. And we're all going to be gods, on our, and that doesn't work that way. There's not poly, we're not polytheistic, we're monotheistic. There's one God who's self-existent. I'm not him. Two great truths of the universe. There's a God, we're not him. 
And, and then you, you can, you not only have Jehovah's Witnesses, you not only have Mormonism, um, you would have uh, Christian scientists. Um, and, and, and those two are other heresies that have developed in, in the destruction of this picture of the Trinity, and they have, they have reduced the, the purpose of who Christ is. There's modalism. Modalism is another attack at the Trinity. Modalism is where they'll say, okay, there is, there is the Father, there is the Son, there is the Holy Spirit, and yes, they are God, but they're, they're, they're not three different persons. They're one person who is one thing at one time and another thing at another time. So he was God the Father, then he became Jesus Christ, but now he's the Holy Spirit, and that's where you get the heresy of the oneness Pentecostal church. And that is not Orthodox Christianity. And you say, well, why do you have to make such a stink about it? What's the issue? The issue is, if you don't grasp the Trinity, you don't understand the significance of the salvation of Christ. And if you don't grasp that, you won't be able to grasp the intensity of for which he has delivered you and why we must be saved. And, and that's what John is saying. He's saying, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, if Jesus is not God, his death on the cross was not sufficient for your sins. And, and you say, but, but, but where do you come up with this concept of Trinity? Give me the verse in the Bible that speaks. Of, where's the word Trinity? Cover to cover, I have to tell you something about the word Trinity. It's not in the Bible. No, it's not there. Well, how do you come up with that, Pastor? That's, 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 that's funky. <laughs> well, it's this idea of the triunity of God. It began where we just got into Genesis one twenty six, Elohim. Let us make man in our own image. The word Elohim is a Jewish word that means singular plurality or unified diversity. Even the Jews understood the concept that God is, 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 is singular, but he, there's, there's a plurality in his, in his essence, but, but there's also a unity in who he is. He said, let us create man in our own image. And so he created him in his image, both male and female. <laughs> what? How can they both be in the image of God? We all know. They're different. One's from Venus, one's from Mars. I mean, didn't we all? I'm from the planet Pluto. Scientology, yeah. I mean, look at women. They're totally different. They're pretty, they're soft, and they're lovely, but they're different. And they use a lot of words. Men. Huh? They didn't even grunt back. They went. How can we both be in the image of God? When you look around the room, we've been creating the image of God. I mean, just look at the, the diversity of the image. Shapes, colors, sizes, economic status. <laughs> Amazing. And yet, we're all creating the image of God, so and there, we can see that there's a similarity between us, a, a unity amongst us as human beings. We're hardwired with what John Locke calls natural law. We, we, we have a conscience. We contemplate our existence. Uh, we, we, we stub our toe, we look up. We try to deny the God that we're fighting. I mean, that's what I love about atheists. They're trying to deny, they're fighting a God that they say doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a boxing match this, this week, and I'm going to beat the guy in the ring. He's not going to be there, but I'm going to pound him. I thought you'd catch it, maybe. <laughs> Let me give you a perfect example why atheists are struggling. 
why don't they have why don't they have conferences to deny the existence of the bunny rabbit, Easter bunny, or Santa Claus? Because nobody goes to their death for Santa. Nobody opens up a hospital in Calcutta in the name of the Easter bunny. Nobody does a rescue mission in the center of the city with the least of these in the name of Santa Claus. That's why. He's real. As we go through these pictures of the Scripture and we see what the Lord is defining as His character, let us make man in our own image, and then we say, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, the word Trinity doesn't exist in the Scriptures, but the Scriptures speak of the Trinity. And you say, well, what is the Trinity? And the Trinity... Um, by mode of existence, we do not mean one God acting in three different ways, but one divine being existing in three distinct persons within one divine substance or essence. Again, this is not exactly three individuals. We think of three personal individuals, but one divine being who acts and thinks is one within a threefold personality. And you're going, well, okay, that, was, that, that hurt. I have a stretch mark right here in my brain because of that. <laughs> Pastor, can you make it a little more simplistic? I can't. I mean, I, I'll do, Okay. I am Rob McCoy. I am a husband to Michelle. I am a father to Daniel, Michael, Natasha, Kelly, Molly. Uh, and, and I am the son to Roy McCoy. So I'm a son, I'm a father, and I'm a husband. But then again, I don't talk to myself, answer myself from two different locations. And so, no, I can't explain that. It doesn't, I, I, I it, and then as, you, as you, you spend time trying to explain the Trinity, you come to a place where, where you, you hit a wall. You hit a wall. And that wall is tough to deal with because the Lord declares, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, um, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe um, all the words of this law. And the idea is you're not, you, you can't explain it. I don't, I don't know how God can be one person in three different locations, speak and answer himself at the same time. I don't know. I mean, you look at the baptism of Christ. It says that the heavens opened up. The spirit of the Lord descended on the son in the form of a dove. And he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And they, I don't know, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know how to explain that. Well, I ain't buying it. I just say this to you, and this, this is one of my favorite comments. I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it says, Anytime man elevates his own reason above the clear revelation of Scripture, he is faced with those truths in Scripture that defy his human logic. He usually goes in one of two extremes. For instance, when he's faith was, faced with two truths which seem to contradict each other, e.g. the sovereignty of man, or man's volition, uh, or Christ's undiminished deity and his true humanity in one person, he, has to, he comes to a place where he either embraces it, or he tries to explain it and goes off the deep end with it, or just denies it altogether. I know I have Calvinist brothers and sisters in here, and I'm not seeking to defend, but I'm, I'm giving an example from my vantage point. Oftentimes people say, how many people believe that God is completely sovereign? Raise your hand. Amen? God is sovereign. How many people believe that we have volition, we have free will, and we have to make a decision? Raise your hand. That is a contradiction. You just, you just screwed yourself up right there. God is completely sovereign, and man has a free will. Did, did you catch that? 
That's like saying, I don't believe in absolutes. Do you believe it absolutely? Yes. Oh, wait. Oh, that's a bummer. I don't. That hurt my head there again. Two stretch marks. I need some vitamin E. You see how that works? It's a contradiction, right? How can, man be, how can God be sovereign and man have a free will? I don't know. I, I, I have no idea, but I know the scriptures speak to it. Oh, no, 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 they don't. No, they don't. See, I've, I've worked this out. God predestines some to hell and predestines some to heaven. Oh, really? Where does that say in the scripture? Well, it says he predestines, yeah, unto salvation, but I've never read the predestined unto hell. Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. No, that was written after they died. It's pointing once for man to die, then judgment. I don't, I don't know what you're speaking of. Well, the death on the cross is only, uh, it, it's limited atonement. That it doesn't matter. He's already picked who's getting saved and who's not. So you don't have a choice in the matter. You can't walk up to somebody, I have good news for you. You can't say that to people if you are double predestinationist. And, and, and that, that's where I see people going off the deep end. I just got to tell you right now, if that's one of you, you're not going to be comfortable in the church, and there's other churches that'll appeal to you. But that right there doesn't work with me. And that's what happens with Tertullian and Origen, and they struggled with the Trinity so much so that they tried to define it, and they said, he's the only begotten, so he's less than the Father. And less than the Father, that means his essence is less. And so that means that Jesus isn't necessarily God. Well, now you've got a problem on your hand. Because when you diminish that in Christ, that's not what the Scripture says. Well, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to. If you could explain it, God would only be as big as your brain, and all of us in this room would be in full agreement, we don't want to worship that God. Squish your head, squish your head, squish your head, squish your head. You're nothing. You're nothing. But this Gnostic heresy had permeated the church, and we see that in Christian scientists today. The Arian heresy is with Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, We have Unitarianism. We have all kinds of errors that are just permeating the church today. And I'm running out of time, but I do want to say this. this the scriptures, though it never uses the word Trinity, uh, we, we do see that uh, the Trinity is in the scriptures. Um, when we see that the Bible teaches these three things, that there is but one God, and that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each God, and that each is set forth as distinct persons, we've enunciated the doctrine of the Trinity or the triunity of God. And, and that's, that's what the early church believed. That's what we believe. That's where we go with it. Um, I, I like this, that... Um, uh, while the term Trinity is never specifically used nor the doctrine explicitly explained in Scripture, it is nevertheless implicitly stated. The church councils in their fight against heresy were forced to think through what the Bible says about how God exists and the result was the doctrine of the triunity. But let it be emphasized, the development of this doctrine was based on a careful study of Scripture and that's what our founding fathers did. That's what John was the first to attempt to try to do. And, and he understood this, and he, he declared it. We can even see in the, um, the reading of the Shema, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and that's, that's Hebrews 6.4, but they use the word Elohim or Chad, which, which means singular plurality. Um, and, and you go through the scriptures on the oneness of God, and it's very clear. I'm going to give you some verses. You can look them up because we're out of time. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, Deuteronomy 4.35, um, Isaiah 46.9, Isaiah 43.10, New Testament scriptures, 1 Corinthians 8.4-6, Ephesians 4.4-6, James 2.19. You can look those up. Uh, scriptures demonstrating God who is one is also three. Old Testament scriptures that say that, real simple, Genesis 1.26, we read it. Genesis 3.22, Genesis 11.7, Isaiah 6.8, that one's amazing. Isaiah 9, 6 is a pretty cool one. Psalm 110, verse 1. There's plenty more. Um, 
Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 48.16, uh, I said that, Genesis 22. New Testament scriptures. I'm going to just share these because I'm going to get you out of here. These are, test- these are New Testament scriptures that declare the Trinity. Or excuse me, in this New Testament scriptures, you're going to see the ones I'm going to give you first are going to be where the Bible calls the Father God. Then the next verses I'm going to give you is where the Bible calls Jesus Christ God. And the next verses I'm going to give you is where the Bible calls the Holy Spirit God. So figure that one out. The Father is called God in John 6, 27, John 20, 17, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Galatians 1, 1, Ephesians 4, 6, Philippians 2, 11, 1 Peter 1, 2. You can listen to this online and get it later. Jesus Christ is the Son, is declared to be God. His deity is proven by divine names given to him. But you can see this in Colossians 1, 17, Colossians 1, 16, John 1, 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It says down in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt with man. John 5, 27, John 17, 5, and don't forget the one we shared earlier, Matthew 28, uh, Hebrews 1, 3, speaks of his omniscience, Matthew 9, 4, and then declaring his deity, John 1, 1, John 20, verse 28, Titus 2, 13, Hebrews 1, 8, the Holy Spirit is recognized as God by compare, comparing Peter's comments in Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Acts 5, 3, and 4, Holy Spirit versus Ananias, he, he lied to God, you can't lie to a force. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. He was omniscient, 1 Corinthians 2.10. Omnipresent, 1 Corinthians 6.19. He regenerates people to new life, John 3, verses 5 through 6 and verse 8. Titus 3.5. And um, 1 Corinthians 6.11, you can read that at your leisure as well. Um, I share all these because as we go through these passages of Scripture and we see the intensity of it, I want to close by simply saying that um, John, ends, John ends this book by saying, little children, let's take a look at it. I want to read it in its entirety. He says, I love this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Okay, and here's what I close with. I've shared this with you on a couple of occasions, and you got it. And it's good because it reinforces, as I repeat it, that, that riddle, that riddle that was given to graduating seniors at Stanford University and also kindergartners. The kindergartners got it. The seniors didn't get it. And the riddle is this. The riddle is this. What's greater than God, more evil than the devil? The rich need it. The poor have it. And if you eat it, you'll die. And, you know, you go, okay. What's greater than God, more evil than the devil? Okay. The rich need it. The poor have it. And if you eat it, you'll die. And all of a sudden, your brain is just warped, and it hurts, and you can't figure it out, and you're doing charts and graphs and, you know, whatever. But the little kindergartners, they all got it. What's greater than God? Nothing. I don't have to go any further with that. What was the rest of it? What's more evil than the devil? Oh, nothing. What do the rich need? Nothing. What do the poor have? Nothing. What is it that if you eat it, you'll die? Nothing. And the seniors are like, oh man, I'm such a loser. <laughs> my, my point is this. My point is this. You think idols are the things that when you go into a Chinese restaurant, you see the bowl of fruit in front of. Yeah, those are idols. 
But idols also come in the form of your mind. That you think yourself so smart you want to define God because you're, you're so brilliant you can define him and put him in your box. And if, and if it doesn't seem logical to you, you don't want to embrace it. But the scriptures don't support you. And so you're willing to make a doctrine that is the antithesis of what God is declaring because you can't explain God. And you're worshiping at the altar of your brain. I'm not asking you to shelve your brain. I'm just saying your brain isn't the final authority in the running of this universe. So quit putting the bowl of fruit in front of it. Little children avoid idols, amen. That's what John did. At 90 years of age, he said, it's not that difficult. This is what the Bible says. I believe it. That settles it. But I don't understand. I can't explain it. You never will. That's why they call it faith. I I don't buy it. Okay. Good luck with that life apart from God. Because the things we do understand about the Lord we live with, we tend to see how faithful he is. We always do. The things we understand about him, we apply to the things we don't. He's faithful. Just quit worshiping at the altar of your brain. I didn't say shelve your brain. I just said it's not the center. It's not, it's not the source of all wisdom in the universe. Just because you can't explain God doesn't mean you have to do him any favors. You just make it more difficult for everybody else. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. And you have that faith of a little child sometimes. So put the idol aside. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and the simplicity of it and the joy of it. And God, thank you for this congregation. Lord, they, um, they endure these things week in and week out. And I wouldn't even say they'd endure them. They, they are an encouragement to me and to the, the staff here. That, Lord, they're the hard things to do, but they don't leave. They want, they're just like the apostles. Where else will we go? This is what we've been called to. So, Lord, as a fellowship, would you strengthen us? As a community, would you strengthen us? Would you, would you allow the babies in our bean patch to live? Would you give us the courage to protect them? Would you help us to bring common grace in every vestige of our community and to stand for these truths, no matter how difficult they would be? Lord, I pray courage upon each and every person present. And, Lord, I pray your blessing upon these families. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. We're going to close with a song.